and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borkson-Keto. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Evan Hudson, partner and real estate capital markets legal expert at Struck. Evan works with a broad range of publicly traded, non-traded and private REITs, and he's here to share some of his insights into current market conditions. Evan, thanks for joining the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Great to be here. Taking a step back, how would you describe overall sentiment across the REIT industry at the end of 2021, based on the conversations that you're having with clients? Well, Sarah, it's definitely bullish. You don't need me to tell you the NAREIT All REITs Index is way up. It was almost at 50% up year on year as of October 31st, and that we're kind of in what's been called a bubble of everything, although it's not necessarily a bubble, and we can talk more about that later, but very bullish market, active market with very few exceptions, a lot of financings available. There's tons of M&A, rents are high, rents are rising, asset values are elevated, and there have been lots and lots of deals. What are you seeing in terms of the appetite for capital raising in the public REIT space? And what role is sustainability-linked financing playing within that larger picture? So we can break those out separately. On the pure capital raising question, I mean, it's the oldest story in the book. REITs want to raise capital and investors want to invest. We're seeing lots of activity. We're doing common equity deals and preferred equity deals, largely through ATMs. I think that's more just a function of what our clients are doing at Stroke right now. We're doing lots of credit facilities and just basically the capital markets are incredibly active. They're liquid, they're deep, just like they're supposed to be. It's the polar opposite of 2009. 12 years later, they're doing great. We're not seeing as much on the IPO front. Um, and one thing we're seeing tons of is joint ventures. You can kind of sidestep step the whole question of whether common stock is trading at a premium or a discount to NAV by looking at kind of looking further down in the structure and and finding ways to finance individual projects or portfolio acquisitions. And, And we've been finding ourselves on both sides of these joint venture deals just constantly, both on the operating partner side, which is the public REIT in this case, and the the money side, which is sometimes a sovereign wealth fund or a a pension fund or um, an asset manager. We're doing lots of JV deals in in manufactured housing, single family rental, multifamily, basically every asset class uh, under the sun, because like I said, super active right now. And then separately, uh, you asked about sustainability linked financing. And I mean, it's a thing. There, There is sustainability linked financing. Um, I personally haven't done one of those deals yet. Maybe maybe I'll get the chance to soon. I don't think it's really a trend driving the market, at least on the financing side. But what is going on, um, as you know, is a lot of institutional investors probably led by the Black Rocks of the world with Larry Fink, who's kind of, um, kind of an ESG activist leading them. And then the the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund just today or yesterday said some interesting things about issuers needing to get on board and promote ESG. But, you know, how do you measure that? The SEC is really light on disclosure requirements. So, you know, private enterprise is stepping in. Uh, everyone wants to be the next kind of U.S. news and world report of ESG rankings. You know, how do you rank all these different REITs? Everyone wants to be that service provider that ranks the REITs. So the REITs are getting all these surveys. And, and one thing that they can always point to is that they did a sustainability-linked financing. I think that's all that's going on there. 2021 has seen significant M&A activity. Do you anticipate that level to be sustained next year? And which property sectors might see the most action? 
Yeah, definitely it has been active. Um, here at Strook in 2021, we represented the target in one of the big public deals, and we've done more than a normal amount of activist work, at least for us this year. You know, you ask, will the activity be sustained? Uh, when it comes to forecasting the future, I like to think in terms of the Lindy effect, which is basically that things that have lasted a certain amount of time are likely to last a similar amount of time into the future. You can uh, look at the past, look at the future, and they'll be kind of proportionate. Um, if you you have no other basis for estimating things. So the Lindy effect says we've been having a lot of activity. So yeah, it'll continue into 2022. That's my best guess. Which property sectors? All of them. Um, I mean, really, I think every single property sector is, whether it's distressed, and there's only one distressed sector right now, and that's regional malls, or doing incredibly well, like warehouses and and um, you know towers and self-storage. Um, I think all of it, I think they're all gonna be doing a lot of M&A. This is a market where, unlike a typical market, if there is such a thing as a typical market, where things trade based on price disagreement, meaning that the seller thinks the price is very, very rich and is happy to sell, and the buyer thinks they're getting a bargain and is happy to buy. What we're seeing in this market is what I call price agreement. Everyone knows the price is high, but it's risky. If you're the seller, it's, it can be um, risky to sell because you want to hold the asset, but it's also it's very risky to be the buyer because the asset price is so high. But with inflation and all these economic tailwinds, you kind of have to have your money invested somewhere. So um, even though we have price agreement and the price is very high, a lot of deals are still happening. And um, that's coming from activists. It's coming from strategic buyers. It's coming from asset managers. And then um, you know, that story could have been told 15 years ago, activists, strategic buyers, asset managers. What's new now in 2021 and will be in 2022 is this entrance of colossal non-traded REITs. And non-traded REITs have been around since the 90s um, when I was in high school. And I, I didn't practice too much when I was in high school, but um, have been dealing with non-traded REITs ever since I started practice about 15 years ago. And they're just getting bigger and bigger. You know, Blackstone, Starwood, Nuveen, now Apollos and Aries. Aries are in the mix. Um, they all have cash to deploy. And guess what? They're doing public company M&A. So this redheaded stepchild of the REIT industry is now driving a lot of the M&A activity. And then just because we're talking about M&A, I think it's interesting to see one new type of mixed use asset. You know, the, the oldest type of asset is putting uh, retail under housing or retail under a hotel. But now we see um, these sort of data centers where a data center is down below and a tower is up on top. That's been some of the big tower and data center operators have been merging because there's some kind of synergy with that asset class. 2021 also saw an acceleration of existing consumer-based trends in the market. How are broader economic themes shaping the real estate sector today? There are so many. A couple I'd like to talk about are the digital-focused ones. I think it's really striking that the largest REITs by market cap are generally now supporting the digital economy. You know, we call it infrastructure in the NAREIT world, but really it should be called 5G. We're talking towers, data centers. It's almost a cliche at this point, but the cloud isn't in the sky. It's housed right here in NAREIT. And distribution centers are kind of the same thing. I mean, those are the sort of the paradigmatic brick and mortar asset, but they're also tied into the online economy. On the threat side, if we're going to do a SWOT analysis, um, I do worry a little bit about vertical integration because basically in the data focused sectors, unlike say a hotel operator where the customer base is really fragmented, the customers of the data focused asset classes, uh, and this goes for towers and 
and data centers and uh, logistics properties. The customers are incredibly powerful. They have a will to power. They're run by basically robber barons who think nothing of acquiring their suppliers and vertically integrating. Like, you know, as we speak, their delivery vans from Amazon running around the streets, they're flying planes overhead. They think nothing of putting FedEx out of business or or an air carrier. And I, I just think that um, data center operators and uh, tower owner operators need to be careful of vertical integration. It's also interesting because there are potential technical threats. And and man, I'm no engineer. I went to law school after studying religion, but but even I can see that there can be threats coming from things like satellites, where satellites beam the internet. You can tell from my vocabulary that, that I studied religion. Um, satellites beaming internet, but um, it's a thing. There could be constellations of satellites. There could be nanoscale computing. I mean, do you really need a data center if if computing is happening at the level of of quantum bits, whatever that means? Anyway, it's a more disruptable industry than, say, single family rental. I think people will be living in houses for a long, long time. And I guess I'll stop there on that question. Do you think investor sentiment for pure play REITs is here to stay? And do you think a pure play focus results in a fundamentally better operator? So whether it's here to stay... I return to the Lindy effect. Pure play has been around for years, if not a couple of decades, as I understand it. So it's likely to be in vogue at least that much longer. I know it was the opposite in the 1960s before my time when conglomerates were the rage. But I think we've been in a pure play economy for a very, very long time, not just in real estate, but across the market. So does it make you a better operator to do pure play? I think that depends on what kind of person you are. I do think there are real visionaries, polymaths, who basically create markets everywhere they go. And I, I, we, can, we can name names, uh, which I won't do because um, these folks know who they are and they don't need their egos stroked any further. But there are people like that who can create value almost anywhere. But the vast vast majority of professionals, including myself, I generally tend to specialize because, you know, knowledge is power and specialized knowledge is a special kind of power. When investors say they want pure play, uh, it's best to give it to them. Uh, investors can construct their own portfolios. Trading gets cheaper and cheaper. They can trade for next to nothing and they can they can build their own multi-asset portfolios. They, they don't need the REIT to construct the asset portfolio. They'll do that themselves. What they do need is the teams at the REITs that they're buying to do that one thing, whatever it is, timber, or retail centers. They need them to do that one thing better than anyone else. And finally, Evan, are there any other trends or issues that you're watching that we haven't touched on yet? So I think NARATE does a really good job educating lawmakers around tax issues and should continue doing uh, one thing, which I think it's already done, although I wasn't part of the conversations, which is that we've seen the willingness of governments from state governments to the federal government to local city governments to enact policies like eviction moratoriums that start out as sort of allegedly responses to a pandemic, but then kind of morph into more like um, tenant activism policies uh, and anti-landlord policies. I think Nehri, um has done a good job, as I said, keeping abreast of trends like that, but also needs to kind of keep on the lookout for other anti-property measures that we've been seeing. Evan, thanks so much for your time. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe or leave a review on iTunes for your favorite podcast platform.